And so mortgage leads are really expensive um, at that point of the process. Somebody who's already bought a house, they are, um, they are under contract and you know they need to lock a rate. Like mortgage lenders will pay multiple hundreds of dollars for that lead. I know this, this is my old business, right? I know this. Today's episode is both a masterclass in the world of residential mortgages, but also an important story and pattern for anyone that aspires to understand the career arc of a serial entrepreneur. My guest today, Dan Green, is on his third startup related to the residential mortgage industry. His first two were both acquired and his passion for the space, his nearly two decades of experience, has given him an insight into how to bring to market his third company, Homebuyer. Dan talks about the premise of applying greater customer service and personalization, the challenges and legacy issues with the mortgage industry, and gives some timely advice at the end about how anyone out there should be thinking about their mortgage. I learned so much in this interview. I am confident that you will as well. So please enjoy my conversation with Dan Green. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Dan, thanks for coming on the show, man. I am so happy to be here. It's good to see you. Let's start with just explaining uh, your current company, Homebuyer. This is not your first foray into the space of residential uh, real estate and mortgages. So give us a little bit of a picture of what you're currently working on, and then we can talk a little bit about how you got here. Homebuyer is a personalized mortgage lender. Uh, we specialize with homebuyers. We're trying to make it a little bit easier, a little bit simpler, um, help a homebuyer feel more in control of uh, you know, I don't want to call it a process. I think it's negative connotation, but a lot of people think about it as the process of getting a mortgage. And the personalization is a big factor because, you know, I just went through the residential um, mortgage process here about two years ago to, to use that negative connotation. And it did feel very like cookie cutter, plug and chug. Let's like swipe you through the process and collect our fee and, and carry onwards. So what is, what does greater personalization mean? Um, you know, you have to kind of take a step back. And if you think about your own experience buying a house, and I, I don't know what percentage of the audience has bought a house before or is thinking about buying a house or uh, maybe someday has aspirations. Uh, wherever we are along the path, um, somewhere we have a question about like, how am I going to afford this house? What does it mean to be a homeowner? Um, what do I have to do to get a mortgage approved? Um, and all these questions that, that we have around around buying a house, we can separate them into two parts. You have the fun stuff, right? Looking at houses, super fun, awesome looking pictures, right? We love to, uh, to look at people's yards and we love to look in their kitchens and to visualize ourselves in those homes. But when it comes to the financing of like how to afford it, it's a completely different set of reactions and it's nerve wracking and there's anxiety. And the first place we go to answers for always is Google, right? Everybody goes to Google. How do I buy a house? You type in. What, you know, what kind of down payment do I need? Um, what is a mortgage even, basic questions. And when you get there, uh, Google is awesome. Like there's so much amazing information, literally everything that you could ever wanna know is there on Google. But when it comes to, um, with mortgages, you have, th there's no context. Uh, I can tell you what a mortgage is, but 
if I, you know, I know you're buying in Pittsburgh, right? And so if you're buying a house in Pittsburgh, um, that's not the same as buying a house in Chicago or buying a house in Tampa, Florida, or buying a house in Austin, Texas. Uh, there's nuance that comes with all of it. And you may be of a different age or you may have more money or less money. You may have higher credit scores or lower credit scores. You may be self-employed or be salaried. And all of these issues, um, they're variances. And Google can't separate and sort you that way. Why do you call a loan officer, right? It's like a loan officer is gonna be the person, he's the professional or she is the professional. Um, the loan officer will guide you through the process, um, but who likes to pick up a phone and talk to anybody, right? You, you, there, there should be a way to do it on your own. There should be a way to get the answers you need without having to spend 30 minutes on the telephone or without having to um, you know, share hundreds of pieces of information about yourself. So when we think about a personalized experience, um, it's really bringing to the mortgage business what already exists in other financial services, right? We can do TurboTax, get our taxes done. We don't have to call a CPA. We can go to Fidelity and we can open up an account and begin investing our money without having to talk to anybody. Um, but you can't do that in the mortgage business. And so that's the problem that we're solving for. It's um, this, this um, how do you take this massive, really unfun piece for a lot of people and how do you create a better experience that gives people hope and moves them forward and makes it simpler and less, um, less nerve wracking to buy a house. Yeah. And the phone calling piece is interesting because that's like, I'm, I'm a millennial. So I get that gripe thrown against me all the time. You never want to pick up the phone, never want to have a conversation, blah, blah, blah. And what you're really uh, illustrating there is the relative inefficiency of even that process to spend the 30 minutes on the phone, to spend the hours filling out forms is the thing that I don't have time for that. I don't particularly have an appetite for. And if there was something that was more efficient and could expeditiously use more or less the same algorithms that the loan officer or whoever might be using to kind of plug and chug and get some sort of at least framework of a result, if not a final answer, is what you can then bring to the market and create that greater accessibility. Well, you know, there's this, I, you bring up millennials. I, I, you know, I don't think of people in terms of age groups because there is no, you know, we're all different, right? But there is this general thought that um, somebody who is born in the 80s or the early 90s, like they don't want to pick up a phone and talk to anybody. In fact, there, there's been studies about it. You know, how, what is the point where somebody will want to pick up a phone, if at all? And there's something really interesting that happened in the mortgage space about this particular type of research. And it was applied as a, um, a digital process. Like if we go out and put out a digital mortgage process, um, the millennials are going to love it, right? The millennials are going to love this process because they don't ever have to talk to a person. And the, you know, the software was out there. And what happened was the millennials come through the system and they did awesome. And on the initial parts about, you know, providing the loan application online or, or uploading uh, W2 or providing paperwork uh, digitally, like that was great. Use your camera, take a picture of a, take a picture of your pay stub and, and, you know, we'll upload it. They were great with that. But every single buyer in that age group got to a point where they were so frustrated and didn't know what to do next. Like the tasks were easy, but it's like, what does it all mean? What's the context? And then eventually everybody picked up the phone. And so the thought was, oh, well, it wasn't millennials after all. What, what, the, what this, this research project actually ended up discovering was if you are a first time home buyer, no matter what age you are, you could be a boomer, you could be a Gen X, you could be millennial. If you are a first time home buyer, um, you are eventually gonna pick up the phone 
when you get stuck, you've reached the end of your wits. And essentially you're at the point where you have, you feel no control of the process, you, you, you are literally lost and you begrudgingly pick up the phone and whoever is on the other end of the line, it's like being on the wrong end of the call. Like you've got somebody who's completely frazzled and that's terrible, that's terrible. What the, um, so the other side of the study was that they found that second and third time home buyers in particular were way more comfortable with the process. Um, they, they didn't need to pick up the phone because they, they felt like they knew what they were doing. Ironically, um, just because you bought a home once doesn't make you an expert. What, you, know, you can go back and look at it and say, well, you know, the folks who chose to not get advice, <laughs> did they actually make you know, good choices for themselves? Um, so they're still, uh, that's still open-ended. But it wasn't an age group thing. Uh, completely digital process did not work because there still was no context, no personalization, and no advice that was catered to each individual buyer. Um, and that, that, that is, that's, that's the big problem that, um, that we're attacking here and that we're, that we're working to solve. And it's a problem that you've been at for a while. So you've yeah. actually sold two yeah. previous companies that were also in the mortgage space. Yeah. So let's, let's go back in time a little bit and just talk about those two entities, what you built sure. there and how this is kind of an outgrowth of that creation. This, so I was, I'm a former software developer. So I, I'm a process oriented person um, just by nature. And um, I was doing a software project for a mortgage company in 2003. Um, it's just kind of like a, you know, I had, a, I had my regular nine to five and there's this mortgage company that I knew uh, somebody worked there and they were building a CRM and they're like, Hey, you know, come in and build our CRM. And as I got deeper and deeper into the business, I realized um, this is actually pretty cool. <laughs> so uh, when the project was over, I, I, I went to the company owner and I, you know, I asked for a job. And so I, um, I started mortgage lending with no experience. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what's going on. And I found that the best way that I ever learned, um, was when I'd sit down with a client face to face, I was terrible. I like, I would, you know, I, I, I was trained. However, um, book training doesn't, doesn't prepare you for the real world. And my first six months were a complete disaster. And what I realized was that um, I, had a, I had a very uh, specific problem and that was you meet with home buyers at some particular point, you sit down face to face and you have a conversation, but they never remember anything you say. Right? They remember maybe one or two things. Um, maybe they remember what their credit score was or why it might need to be improved or they might remember what it means to buy a condominium or maybe they remember you know, um, why you should always claim your, your cash tips on your, on your uh, tax returns. They would remember one thing but never the whole picture. And so when a family would go home and discuss the mortgage, um, they only remember that one thing and would miss the bigger picture. And then, you know, I'd lose sale after sale because I, I couldn't communicate clearly what was happening. So I start keeping a log. Um, every time I meet with a customer, the conversations we're going to have, I, I write down on a, um, I create a literal blog entry and I put it on a website and I start doing this. And, and, and I'm every, every time I meet with a customer, I, Hey, here's the things that we just talked about. I create a URL. You can go back and research this or read it on your own time. So you don't forget what we talked about. And um, that website uh, began to uh, attract inbound leads after some amount of time. This is you know, 2004, 2005, 2006. And so um, I was like, okay. And it was fueling my business, which was amazing. So I didn't have to go out and talk to real estate agents. I didn't have to go to CPAs or financial planners and, you know, and, and ask for business because I don't love to do that. I'm not great at it. 
Uh, I'm more of a, here's the information. If you want to work with me, great. If you don't, that's okay. And that sort of uh, approach doesn't work in a high pressure sales environment, right? So what I found was I can just educate people. And so this website that I was producing began to bring in inbound traffic. And I was like, okay, um, I use my software background. I begin to create systems and process for how do we capture and cultivate inbound inquiries, inbound leads, right? People would go to Google, they find our site. And how do I, how do I latch on to that buyer? And how do I build a fence around them? Um, you know, by, okay, I now know something about you. Let me continue to give you good information that matters to you. Um, if somebody else would come in who had it, you know, wanted to buy, uh, you know, 10 acres somewhere, I might give them information that, that's about buying in rural areas and what it's like to own in a rural area. And you start to separate your audience and segment them with, with information. So that was the start of a, of a website called The Mortgage Reports, which is still around today. The Mortgage Reports is, um, I, I still believe it's the number one consumer mortgage blog in the country. Uh, incredible information. Um, if you've done any sort of search for mortgages at any point online, you've, you know, you've seen the mortgage reports, which is a tiny little thing that I started. Um, it outranks, you know, the majorest of major websites. You know, we didn't have an SEO budget. We didn't have uh, millions of dollars thrown into uh, marketing campaigns or plans or anything. All it was was writing just great content over and over and over again. And it's amazing how when you are building a website, if you actually write it for your audience instead of for the SEO engines, um, you know, you end up doing a good clip of business. So that, that business kind of started and it, as it was ramping up, there was real estate agents and other mortgage loan officers who said, Hey, I really like what you're doing. Can you build us a similar thing? And I'm, in my head, I'm like, well, I'm using, you know, this content's for me and this show, you know, this is what's fueling my business. Um, and I was using it to, um, it was the, you know, number one producing loan officer in my first year at this first company. I, you know, was number one producer um, multiple years after that, all because I had this amazing inbound lead generation tool. So I, um, in my spare time, which wasn't a lot, I, I wrote um, another piece of software that was designed to, um, I mean, I guess it was a SaaS model. We didn't really call it SaaS at the time, but I would write a piece of content that was um, mortgage real estate related. And uh, I would host WordPress websites for realtors and for loan officers. And so I'd write this content and use the content and spread it out to everybody. So it was um, essentially a content subscription service, again, about consumer education. And like, how do we, how do we educate our customers? If we, if we don't have a billion dollars to spend on marketing, like some of the largest lenders do, what, what can we do? Well, we can educate. Education builds trust. Trust builds um, at least the right to compete for business. And so these two, the mortgage reports and this other company was called Bring the Blog. They both were going at the same time. Um, and uh, by 2012, uh, mortgage reports was doing a lot. Um, it was generating more leads than I could handle um, as an individual loan officer. I, you know, I was routing all the uh, excess leads to other loan officers. And uh, Bring the Blog was getting to be, um, it had great revenue, but it just kind of was a drag. So uh, one of the, there was a vendor that was reselling the product to a whole new set of customers, which is amazing. And he came in and, and made an acquisition offer. And so, um, so I, sold, I sold that business. And then um, a year later, uh, I sold mortgage reports and sold it to a, um, a terrific company based out of Bellevue called Full Beaker. 
and a really well-run company, excellent people. Have, they've been amazing stewards for, um, for uh, the mortgage reports and it continues to, to serve millions of people every year. So when, um, when, you know, when my arrangement with, uh, with that acquirer ended, um, that's when, you know, got back to work on the same problem, right? How do we help home buyers make sense of this really um, confusing process? How do you use education as a way to build trust and, you know, and then build sales? So that's what we're doing with HomeBuyer. But what, what's very different today is that the technology is different, right? With each iteration of these products, um, there are more tools available to use. You know, today, uh, machine learning is a thing. Um, it was a thing, you know, five, six years ago, but it was a very extensive thing. Today, um, you know, just with large data sets, you can do some incredible uh, analysis. And so, um, you know, the core of our product is, you know, these large data sets where we're able to um, anticipate and make sure that, you know, each individual buyer is getting the right content they need at the exact right moment to help them to the next step. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's the, that's the playbook, how we got here. Well, it's really powerful because for a lot of folks that want to go after some big, hairy, audacious goal, they don't necessarily recognize that stair-step approach. So even we just quickly summarize that back up. You had already built the computer programming skill set. You got into the mortgage industry as a loan officer and then built basic 101 level type of content about how mortgages work and these kind of key blocking and tackling things and built a really powerful lead gen mechanism for it that kind of led to the next subsequent opportunities. And now 17 years later in the industry, you have maybe not at all figured out, but you've got deep, deep domain expertise, not just in mortgages, but also tech and also the content marketing, which then allows you to aim your sights a little bit higher. And I think that I, I think that there's so many different directions we can go here, but one of them is this idea that a lot of kind of young entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially minded folks fall prey to, which is not like seeing hitting a single or a double on their kind of first business or their first thing that they build as some sort of like failure in ambition or kind of an, an impatience maybe to go make that happen and not, not to belittle what you previously built with the mortgage reports, but like, is that relatable to you? I'll tell you that hitting singles and doubles sounded awesome. I struck out for the first 18 months. Um, so I used to, um, uh, it was before Google analytics. So, you know, you have these other tools where you're watching, um, what your site traffic is and, um, you know, how many subscribers you might have for your RSS feed or whatever it is. Uh, it took me 18 months to get my first inbound lead. Um, for the first 18 months, I was writing literally every single day. Um, to me, it was, yes, I'm writing for the audience, but remember, I was, I was new in the business. Um, I'm, a, I'm the sort of person that I know I know something when I can teach it to somebody else. And so the writing was actually a forcing function for me to understand the nuance of, of home loans. Um, you know, again, you have your textbook and I, and I literally would sleep with Fannie Mae's mortgage guidelines on my bedside stand. It was 1400 pages. Romantic. Uh, you know, like, no, <laughs> right. Great bedtime reading, but I would read the guidelines. Um, you know, you, you have a customer who has a question you can go in and reference it. It's an extremely detailed document. Um, but again, it has no real world application. It's just a set of facts and check boxes. What does it take to get approved? So how do you take that and make it relate to an individual? 
And so an interesting thing happens when you get more FaceTime with customers is that you begin to understand that um, it's not just the facts, but how the facts relate to that person. And you can anticipate through conversations how that, how that potential home buyer is going to react. And based on their reaction, you can provide information in the best way that they can handle. This is what sales is, right? It's understanding, um, it's anticipating the objections and addressing them before they come up. Um, and so in writing every single day, um, literally every single day, I did it for seven years. I wrote every single day. Um, that is, you know, largely some of the content I wrote, it went nowhere. Like I said, there were strikeouts. Some of the stuff, you know, singles, some of it was doubles. Occasionally I, I you know, went viral before it was called going viral, like a massively shared link. Um, you know, by email and, you know, shows up in all sorts of weird places and people are referencing it, um, and, you know, and on, I guess it was, you know, MySpace or Active Rain or whatever the social networks were that we were using at that time, pre-Twitter. Um, you, you begin to um, realize that, like, your whole body of work, you know, e even, uh, you know, e even a, a Barry Bonds who, you know, massive amount of home runs, but still struck out quite a bit early in his career. Or Sammy Sosa, who had a cork bat, that's probably a bad example because he cheated. Uh, Mike Schmidt, right? Um, Schmidt, you have plenty of seasons where he'd strike out a hundred and something times. Like he was up there, played every, you know, went out there every day, game and, and took his cuts and that's what it is. And, and there's a ton of failure, but it doesn't take a lot of successes in order to make a career. You have to, you know, capitalize on how much, I don't know if, if any of this, this metaphor may have gone way into a deep end, but, I'll, but it, it's well, about bring, that every day, chipping away, chipping and, away every single day. And I want to bring it back to what makes that type of consistent effort possible. And so you, you don't have to get too specific if you're not comfortable here, but in terms of these two acquisitions, um, what single double triple home run like life-changing money in the context of never have to work again or um you know take a couple years off maybe get a new house and a new new car or something like that like can you kind of contextualize it a little bit um so when uh it's funny that when when the mortgage reports was was sold was acquired um there was uh the contract negotiations were kind of um, heated at one point um, and, and my, my contract actually called for me spending three years to, um, to stay on board and to transition out. Um, and, you know, yeah, I looked at that and I was like, you know, the acquirer was doing that because they were worried I was going to disappear on the beach someday. It was actually a literal quote, right? And they thought it was going to be something that I railed against and it was going to be a negotiation point. And I, you know, what else was I going to do? Like, this is the thing I love to do. Um, so, so we, when we, when we put the, the, like, there was never this idea that I was going to sell and retire. Um, to me, this is, this is, you know, you, you sell, you, you know, you take your chips off the table um, and that's great. And then you look around and you say, well, what am I going to do now? Because um, to me, the problem still hadn't been solved. This was just, this was just, okay. Um, we've reached a goal but the complete goal of how do you create a uh, how do you create a better experience for the home buyer um, that doesn't require so much human interaction that's more self-directed um, that's faster easier simpler that's less confusing like there's still a lot of work to do so during those three-year periods i mean you know we actually had um we structured the deal um you know i'm not allowed to 
talk too much about it, but one of the, um, it, it was a, um, uh, it was a deal that paid more based on the success of the site for the next three years. And again, that was like meant to tie me in um, so that I didn't just, you know, leave. Um, they're like, well, you know, the, the better the site does, the, you know, the larger your, your acquisition you know, number will be. And that was awesome because I knew the site had momentum. I knew that I had a ton left to contribute. And, um, you know, and, and the site in year three did way more revenue than it did at the point of acquisition. Like everybody turned out, like it, it, everybody won. It was amazing. And um, so, you know, when the day that my non-compete ended, of course, I got right back into this. Like, this is where my heart is. This is the problem I'm solving. Like, I, I, I can't... Um, I can't imagine doing anything else. Like I'm, I'm so uh, focused on this. It's like, it, there's a, there's like a, it is a, this is a, an issue. Um, it's a, it, it creates a terrible user experience for home buyers that anybody who's bought a house will tell you, you know, some part of the mortgage experience is awful. And like, I'm, I will, I'm determined to fix that. Um, and so here we are again with home buyer, you know, we're, we're coming at it again. And, um, and I, I think we're going to get it. Well, I, I know we're going to get it. I uh, just need some time to, to keep building out around the corners. Right on. So another part of this problem to be solved, in my eyes, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is so in one vein, we have this personalization story and this ability to meet the buyer wherever it is that they are. Um, but the other side of this is also like if I'm just evaluating my own behaviors as a buyer is trying to shop around and get any sort of legibility into the cost. So like when I saw the the interest rates get cut, um, I'm like, oh, can I like, can I refi? Like, what you know, how much mortgage could I afford? Yada, yada, yada. And to me, that's really, if you kind of look at the space of these different uh, kind of more platformy type of mortgage companies like Quicken Loans, they're really trading on the narrative of, of cost. It's going to happen quickly and it's going to happen cheaply. And that's our primary lens for reaching you. So can you talk a little bit about how cost comes into the equation for the average person shopping for a mortgage and then how you kind of think about that with your own company? Um, home buyers have two questions. How much else can I afford? What is this going to cost me? It really comes down to those two things. How much house can I afford? And how much will this cost me? And those seem like really basic questions. Unfortunately, a, a mortgage lender can't answer those questions for you accurately without knowing something about you. It's just a fact. Um, how much you can afford is actually based on a complex formula. There are like 12 to 16 inputs um, in general, but not the least of which is your social security number in order to do an accurate credit report, okay? Um, another one would be to, act, to actually know your income and to know about any liabilities you have that might not be listed on your credit report if you have other um, payments that you're required to make on a monthly basis. Um, the address matters. Um, you know, every home has its own real estate tax bill. If it's a condo or if it's a, a house in a neighborhood, it might have association dues. All these things go into figuring how much house you can afford. Um, and so when someone says, how much house can I afford? And a mortgage lender says, I don't know, let's take a mortgage application. I don't want to do that, the customer will say. I just want to know how much house I can afford. Can't you ballpark it? What are today's mortgage rates? Okay, well, today's mortgage rates are also based on a bunch of factors. How much you're borrowing, what state you're borrowing, what county, what type of property are you buying? Um, these are just a few. Is it a primary residence or is it a vacation? Is it an investment property? But again, all these different 
factors go into what rates are. Do you want to pay closing costs and points? Do you want to not do that? And the customer will say, I don't know, I just, what are today's rates? And so you have these two questions that are literally impossible to answer. And that creates conflict because you're a home buyer, you want what you think is an easy piece of information. And the reality is it's a, it's a huge challenge. So how do you tell somebody what the costs are? I could tell you that the loan has no cost whatsoever. You'd be like, that's awesome, I want that loan. And I can say, well, if you're willing to pay costs, you can have a lower mortgage rate. And suddenly things get complicated. Well, how much costs? Well, you know, in, in that, this piece is where everybody goes off the rails as home buyers. You can be uh, the most highly educated person in the world, more degrees than anybody. You could, you could have a career in FinTech. You could have a career with a mortgage lender. Yeah, like you, you could actually be the one doing the loan. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum that this is like, it's all, it's, this is the same part that makes everybody nuts is that you can't always figure out, um, you, you can't know for sure until you, as a home buyer, until you share something with your lender. This is the main reason why everyone says you must get pre-approved as early as possible. And like, if you are going to buy a house, you need to know, you, you need to have somebody take a look at your total scenario. You can't talk to your Aunt Jenny. You can't you know, talk to your cousin Bob. It, you, you need to actually talk to a professional who does it all the time. You can't go to Reddit and get advice uh, from somebody who bought you know, two houses in the last 10 years and is now an expert. Like You've got to talk to somebody. So to, so to bring this back to your point, the way I think about costs is the hardest, the reason why home buyers have trouble talking to a loan officer and giving their social um, or talking about their income is because it feels invasive. It, it does. Like, I don't know you. Why, I, I, don't, I don't know you. Like, I don't want you running my credit report. And so I think about this from the other way around, like we do in a lot of other, um, in a lot of other uh, ways that consumers interact is like with mortgage, consumers have no agency. And that's a, that's a problem. Um, I want to give agency back to homebuyers. I want you to be able to come to the site and you decide how much information you want to share. And the more information you share, the more accurate I can get about telling you what you can expect. And so that way, it's not, it's not a question of um, me, the loan officer, selling you by phone or in a chat or by email and sending you endless documents that you don't know what they mean. You should be able to do this yourself. You, there's no secret here. It's all just a formula with inputs. So here, you know, here's everything you need. And the more information you tell me, the more accurately I can tell you what your rate is, the more accurately I can tell you how much home you want to buy. If you're not comfortable sharing all that information, sure, I can ballpark it. We're only 37 of the way there. You want to get to 52%? Great. I just need these other pieces of information and we can get closer. And that way it's on you. And you can go as far as you want and get as much accuracy as you want. And, and again, putting the home buyer in control. And, and that doesn't, that's not how other lenders think. Other lenders want to take your application immediately because they know that 77% of home buyers never give a second mortgage application. They just don't. It was so hard to give the first one, they're not going to give another. So they stop. So it's all it's all part of the it's all part of how the process works. And like that is pro-lender. That is not pro-consumer. If you take care of the customer 
and you take care of people who are buying the houses, they will take care of you by giving you their business. That's not revolutionary. That, that's, that's how every industry should work. That's not how, in general, that's not how mortgages. That's how we are. That's how I think about this. Um, and again, you know, coming back, like, I've been doing this for a long time. I've sat face to face with thousands of home buyers. I've helped millions of people through, you know, through my various uh, sites that, I, that, I've, that I've run. And the thing that I've learned is that uh, people just want information, present to them in a way that they can understand so they feel in control. That's it. And if you can do that, you're, you know, you're light years ahead of everybody else. Yeah. And you also just get to compete. Like the, there's the classic uh, business book, Blue Ocean Strategy, which is yeah. go to the, the place where there isn't the just vicious competition. And if everyone is competing at the level of who can get that application and you just kind of position yourself into a different part of that customer life cycle, it, it, it isn't necessarily going to be the thing that works for everyone. And maybe that's just be better marketed. They, they went to Quicken Loans Arena, so therefore they're going to show up and, at Quicken Loans or something like that. But the reality is that you can play in this space where there's just less competition, which is also part and parcel to building a big business. And, and so I, I actually use that blue ocean analogy quite a bit. So if you think about um, the opposite of blue ocean, um, in the mortgage business, there is a tremendous amount of value. Um, customer acquisition is a major deal. Like where do you get your next customer from? That is massive. And most mortgage lenders, nearly all, in fact, know that their best, like <laughs> the longer they have to nurture a customer, the less likely they are of turning them into, or lead, say, you know, the, the less likely that lead is to convert. Okay, so there's a, there's a direct relationship between length of time to nurture and losing, losing the lead. So mortgage lenders cram into the bottom of the funnel. They want hot leads, same as in any business, right? We want hot leads. I want somebody who's ready to buy right now. And so because um, you know, right now business is also revenue right now. It's a short-term thing. Like I, get me somebody right now to fill my pipeline. Again, many businesses can probably relate. You know, you want the hottest leads possible. And so mortgage leads are really expensive um, at that point of the process. Somebody who's already bought a house, they are, um, they are under contract and you know they need to lock a rate. Like mortgage lenders will pay multiple hundreds of dollars for that lead. I know this, this is my old business, right? I know this. But there's a whole nother realm of, of uh, home buyer and that's the people who are at the start of the process who haven't yet figured out even like, how do I, how do I buy a house? <laughs> they're so early, right? And because they're early, um, a mortgage lender who talks to you today, and if you're not gonna buy for a year, that mortgage lender's follow-up is generally pretty weak. Um, and because it's always about what the lender wants you to know. It's always pushing messaging. We've got great rates, come check out our awesome products. Like, hey, and, and we can think about this from any sales profession. Like, what value are you actually adding? And the reality is that many salespeople don't add value to their leads over a long period of time. They just don't. And so what happens when that lead has to buy? They, they actually have a negative feeling about the person who's been spamming them for all this time and they take their business somewhere else. Mortgage lenders close less than one-tenth of one percent of their long-term leads. So anything wow. less than one-tenth of one percent. And so as a result, when you are a home buyer and you have a long way to go until you're you know, ready to buy. And let's say you submit your information online, you raise your hand, you're like, I need, you know, I want to talk to a lender. If you say that you have more than six months to go until buying a house, nobody really wants to talk to you because they know number one, 
the conversion rate's really low. And number two, they know that eventually you are going to buy and they're going to get another shot at you. <laughs> so they're like, forget it. I have business today. I have all these hot leads and I paid a lot of money for them. So you have all these home buyers who, who raise their hand for help and are not getting any attention whatsoever. That's the, you know, first time home buyers in particular, 45% of the market, um, they're, they're, they need help that like from a, a um, from like a do good perspective, these are the people that, that really need the benefits of our expertise as an industry and who's giving it to them, you know, pretty much nobody. Um, so I look at this and, and it's not just you know, like, to me that that's our blue ocean, but it, it, but it's, it's not that we figured anything out that's, you know, revolutionary. All we're doing is we're talking to home buyers wherever they are in the journey. And so again, on this idea of a pre-approval, um, I'll talk to somebody who will say, I'm not buying for another eight months. Why don't we talk later? And the conversation's like, look, you know, eight months is a lot of time. And so if you, you know, we don't know what you look like on paper yet and how easy this is going to be for you. Now is the exact time to talk to a lender. Start putting a plan in place. Um, make sure that you have the best, you know, you give yourself the best possible chance for success. You can give yourself access to the lowest rates. You can prevent your loan from being rejected in underwriting for something dumb, which happens because nobody knew any better. Um, so yeah, it's not just, you know, being blue ocean, but it's also, um, being helpful, <laughs> like, you know, helpful. Our blue ocean strategy is being helpful. There you go. Right. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The going deep podcast is underwritten by Piper creative shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand and grow faster. Say hello at pipercreative.co. Let's hit two more questions and then we'll aim towards wrapping up and asking our last questions. And thank you for being so generous with your time here. Um, Great. <laughs> in terms of like some of the improper expectations or kind of just, you know, you've seen it so many times, these first time home buyers, they don't know what they're getting into. It is overwhelming. They're past the point where they know that they want the hardwood floor and the whatever, you know, accoutrements of the, of the house. And they start to feel like they're hitting their head against the wall a little bit. Like what are some of the things that you have found yourself consistently unlocking or just making sure that these first time home buyers are aware of that they're usually not? The number one thing, you don't need to make a 20% down payment and PMI is not bad. I said it. Okay. PMI, private mortgage insurance. I'm, I'm going to, can I give a, can I tell a story or some background? Bring it. Or, okay. Awesome. So in mortgage lending, there is um, this concept of uh, mortgage insurance. Mortgage insurance is an insurance policy that pays out. Should you as the homeowner miss payments for 90 consecutive days, which is technically you're in default of your loan. The house goes into foreclosure. The lender takes the house back from you. Okay. So when you don't pay for 90 days, your home goes to foreclosure and the bank takes it back. The bank is not in the business of owning real estate. The bank is in the business of collecting interest. That's how banks make money. Lenders lend. And so the banks want to get rid of the real estate as quickly as they can. Um, it is bad to have real estate on your balance sheet. So if you have to sell something quickly, what do you do? Fire sale. Yeah. And so when you have to sell a house quickly, drop the price by 20%. So what's happening and the reason why you need mortgage insurance when you don't, when you don't bring 20% of your purchase price to, towards your purchase, it's so that the bank can get made whole when they have to sell your home quickly. That's it. Okay. 
So that's not a bad thing. What it is is the bank is saying, we are willing to lend to you, you know, whatever you need, but we need you to insure us for this part if you're going to put down less than 20%. And people say, well, that's a waste of money. And it is not. What it is, like, don't scrape to come up with a 20% down payment and say, now I'm ready to buy a house. Like how much down payment can you make has nothing to do with whether or not you can afford home ownership. This is where I, I, I split with all of Reddit on this one, right? On Reddit, it's like, if you can't put 20% down, you can't afford a home and that's wrong. What you can, affording a home is about the monthly payment. You know, how much, how much money you have coming in and coming out. I have strong opinions on, on that and staying within a budget and making sure that you are liquid because thing is that life goes sideways. It always does. Nothing ever goes in a straight line. And when life goes sideways, you need to have cash available to handle whatever situation comes up. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe it's an illness. Um, maybe you have a change in family situation. Those are the three top reasons, the three top reasons why um, people end up losing their homes. They can't make the mortgage payments because they got sick, they can't work, or they got a divorce. Three things. It's not because they bit off more than they could chew. It's because something external happened, okay? And when we think about what making a large down payment does, that creates risk. You're taking money you have in the bank and you're locking it up in your house and you can't get it out. You can't get your money in your house unless you refinance, which costs money and takes time, or if you sell, which is not an immediate process either. So you are essentially giving, you're taking on risk by moving money into an illiquid asset, which is the house. And so if you are taking risk, if it's more risk for you, that means it's less risk for your lender, um, okay? And so the opposite of this is when people say, 100 down, you know, if I, if I do 100% financing, if I make a small down payment, that's really risky. It's actually not. It's risky to the bank, which means it's less risky to you. Yeah. And that insurance policy exists to enable you to keep your money liquid. So mortgage insurance isn't really expensive, you know, depending on the size of your loan, but it's only, you know, it's less than half a percent per year in almost every case. Sometimes it's less than 30%, 0.3% per year, sorry, 0.5%, 0.3 per year. That's tiny for the right to keep your money liquid. So um, time and time again, people will wait to buy a house until they have enough money saved up and that's wrong. You buy a house when you feel like you're ready to, number one, and when you, when your monthly payments um, when you're done putting out all your money, you still have money left over. Uh, that's the first thing. That was a big one. But that, I, that is, um, I have that conversation over and over and over again. It's really just deprogramming people from things that we've all heard from our parents and our parents' parents. Yeah. You don't need 20% down to buy a home. You don't. There's like six government-backed programs that allow for less than 20% down. There are many more uh, programs that private lenders offer, et cetera. Uh, the second thing is, um, and, and this is probably just for a limited part of the audience, but a big deal. If you happen to be fortunate enough to get a gift to help pay for your down payment, if you are that lucky, and not everybody is, um, but if you are that lucky, there is a process to follow and make sure that you plan for that well in advance. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, home buyers who um, didn't make proper plans to get a gift, like to receive a gift did it incorrectly, and as a result, the gift actually couldn't be used to buy the house. So mortgage lenders have a, um, any financial institution, a really um, a major focus is preventing money laundering. Uh, they don't wanna see that money that came from uh, illicit sources is being used to buy a house because that, that 
you know, that's laundering money. So there, there's, um, there's a lot of compliance and regulation around how money is transferred between bank accounts. And if you accept a gift without following proper protocol, um, the lenders don't know, you know, the financial institutions don't know if that is laundered money or not. So they say, we're going to kick it out and that's it. So those are my two things. Uh, avoid large deposits and uh, you don't need 20% down. That's powerful. I mean, the PMI is like one of those things that everyone says it. And so therefore everyone thinks that it's true and very few people, it, it, I mean, people aren't buy, making that many house purchases unless you're some sort of like crazy real estate developer investor type. Like you might be making this purchase three, four times in your life, like max. So, you know, to get out of whatever the, you know, standard rules of thumb are is yeah. really difficult. Yes. Yes. Um, one last question from Twitter, and then we'll ask our, our last questions here. Um, from Mike Simonson, is a mortgage broker better than working directly with my main bank? Worse, what should I know? Um, there, there, really, there's no difference. Um, so that, to reframe the question, is it better to work with a mortgage broker or to work with your big bank or with somebody in between? Um, and these are all words for how do you, you know, where do you go to get a mortgage? And so um, the, I think as a home buyer, what's most important is that you're finding a lender that listens to you and make sure you end up in the right mortgage. And so um, somebody who's gonna pay attention, who's gonna care. And there are great mortgage loan officers in all sorts of different businesses. Now what a broker will do, a broker's function is they work for you, they take your loan application and they compare it for you to five or six seven hundreds, whatever. They have all these different places and they try to get you what would be your best rate. And um, they, they have, they're incented to get you the best rate because they're paid based on whether or not they can place your loan for you. So, um, you know, brokers are, are really good in that regard. There's some amazing mortgage brokers around the country. Um, from a retail bank walking in your local branch, that can be good too. Um, you get a different set of, uh, products you might have access. Like if you have to have a lot of assets, for example, your local bank may be able to do some really interesting things for you that a broker can't because a broker is not a actual financial institution. So you're, if you have a lot of assets or if you have some, you know, some relationship with your local bank can be great. Um, the people that work there, they're also terrific. Um, you know, in between there's something called a correspondent lender, uh, which really doesn't, it's not important what they're called, but um, these mortgage loan officers are a combination of a bank and a broker. Um, they have uh, the same products as everybody else. Their pricing is like, it, it really doesn't matter. Uh, I think the most important thing is that you're working with a loan officer who shows you time and attention and who cares about you because even the best rate, um, getting the best rate doesn't matter if it's not a good loan for you. And um, it's important that you're in the right product. Um, you see people, um, you know, they, some, sometimes uh, home buyers think they know what they want and they're adamant about it. And um, a good loan officer will sit and listen and repeat back what they've heard. And um, using active listening will kind of help, help you find what may be a better product. And I, I think that that's the most important part is just being able to trust the person you're working with to know that they're, that they care about you. Um, because this, you know, it's not only the, the largest um, asset you have, right? Your mortgage is your, it's your largest debt too. And so um, it's really important to take care of it.
Absolutely. Well, it's utterly apparent to me how much you care about this topic and how much you care about getting people into the right products and, and you know, getting through the process with minimal anxiety, minimal confusion. Um, so I, I commend you for that. And I want to make sure that all the listeners out there uh, know how to continue to learn from you. So what links can we provide for people that want to learn more about residential mortgages? Um, first, I'll give my email address. I'm, you know, send me questions. I, you know, this is, this is part of the stuff I love to do. Um, Dan at homebuyer.ai. Um, Dan at homebuyer.ai is uh, my email address. You can really send me anything. There's no email you're going to send me or information that I, you know, nothing's going to shock me. Um, and so whatever, whatever it is you want to talk about, um, I'd love to talk about it uh, as it relates to, to mortgages. So um, that's, that's the, you know, to hit me personally. Um, homebuyer.ai is also the website. And so uh, it's, you know, your personalized uh, mortgage plan. And that is uh, also a great place to, to get started and kind of poke around. And there's a lot of content and, uh, and it adjusts based on what it is that you want to do and what it is that's important to you. So the longer you uh, interact with the site, the more specific it becomes and the more relevant it will be for exactly what it is you're trying to accomplish. So um, those are the two, those are the two best ways. And, and give the email, not just with a direct to, to you, but the email fill out form for your newsletter, something that I've already learned a lot from just from subscribing to your newsletter ah. and kind of getting some more information generally about the, the space. Yeah. I mean, the newsletters on the website, um, we send uh, generally once a week. Sometimes we send more when we need to. And it's, um, it's also the more you share with us, the more the newsletters will be directed to what's important to you. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's our take on what's happening in the markets, what you need to know, um, just the relevant stuff. Um, we've kind of broken down in English. So if you're buying a house today or six months from now or even two years from now, um, you know, it's just a good, good to start building your base of knowledge. And it's, you know, we're not, we're not pushing sales on you. We're, we're here to educate. And, you know, the hope is when you're ready to buy, um, you'll be comfortable enough. You at least give us a shot at your business because it is competitive. Absolutely. Um, well, this has been fantastic, Dan. I've learned a lot uh, in, in multiple instances from you, and I want to give you the mic one final time to be able to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Uh, this, is, I, this is going to be a mortgage personal challenge. If you are thinking about buying a house, if you're a renter, if you have some app installed on your phone where you browse for houses and you're like, I'm not buying a house yet. Like if you think you will buy a house someday, um, at any point uh, within the next two or three years, I encourage you to reach out to a mortgage loan officer of any kind, broker, banker, uh, correspondent, anybody, anybody. You can come to us, whatever. Get a pre-approval. It is a, it, think of it like a checkup. It is, uh, it will set a framework for your future goals. You can't just show up at a literal doorstep and expect to go get a loan. You need to plan for it. And so my challenge is if you are in the camp of people who someday believe they want to buy a house, or if you already own one and you're going to buy another, get yourself a proper mortgage pre-approval early. You're setting yourself up for success that way. Um, it, it creates such a better long-term experience when you know what you have ahead of you. Um, even if, again, even if you are six months to a year or longer away, get a mortgage pre-approval. And is that like a, a risk from a credit score standpoint? Is that, is that part of the calculation or no? You're, yeah. Let, let your lender check your credit score. It's okay. There's this, uh, there's this prevailing fear that having your credit checked is going to be this awful thing. Like, okay, um, let's all agree that having your credit score checked 
Um, your score will drop by a few points. But like, that's what your credit is for. It's only there for a few things. It's when you apply for a credit card, maybe if you're getting an auto loan, and if you're buying a house, like that's why it's there. And so it's okay to take a little bit out of it. And well, by little, we're talking like a few points. It's okay because you need that in order to go get your mortgage done. Like that's why your score is there. That's why you pay your bills on time. That's why you keep up with your credit limits. It's okay. But that's, but that's also like, the type of part of the score that bounces back. So if like you're consistently, you know, yes. missing credit card payments and dropping your credit score for that reason, well, like that needs to be fixed. That's not okay. something to perpetuate, right. but you, you do a check and then it gets rechecked six, nine, 12 months later, and it will have bounced back by then unless you're just going around town getting 18 different pre-approvals, pre pre which you've already told us no one does. They could do one, maybe two, and that's it. Yeah. It, um, and, and, you know, another point on pre-approvals is once you're pre-approved, you now know that you can talk to any mortgage lender and you can say, and it's a little bit of a piece to say, look, I've already been pre-approved um, and here's the basics of what's going on. And now it becomes easier for the other lender uh, to give you, to give you some parameters on what a rate might look like or how much else you can afford. You need to have that information. Doing a pre-approval is giving yourself an agency, you, like go do it. Um, so that's my, that's my challenge to everybody. And it can be it can be easy. You don't even have to talk to somebody. It can be done on your own time with just a you know by by a web page. Love it. Well, that's powerful, actionable, and specific, and unlike any other challenge that we've gotten before. So I love it. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Awesome to see you. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. We just went deep with Dan Green. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I hope you learned a lot from Dan, and I hope that you'll consider checking out our enormous back catalog of episodes. One of our most popular is with Jason Wolf. Jason, like Dan, is an expert and successful serial entrepreneur in a single domain. Jason's is gift cards. And in the interview that we did together, he talks about how he rolled his success in technology, gift cards, and business building into successive eight and nine figure acquisitions of businesses that he had built. It is widely regarded as one of the best episodes of this show. And I think that you will really enjoy it if you haven't checked it out. There's also many great episodes coming down the pipe, including Brent Johnson talking about the dollar milkshake theory. Here's a preview of next week's episode. The, this young couple, they were, again, they were so smart and so polite and so nice, but they, they asked very simple, but very pointed questions. And, you know, these managing directors couldn't answer the questions. Uh, and the, the questions were like, what do you think the real inflation rate is? Uh, what do you think about the national debt? What do you think about the budget deficit? How do you think uh, the real estate market is going to affect the stock market? You know, just, you know, not crazy hard questions, actually very smart intelligent questions but but they but but they wanted specific answers they didn't want just the you know one sentence you know ad hominem you know reply they they really wanted to learn this stuff and you know we got and and, and you know they at, at first the, the, these guys and i was just kind of sitting back and watching it right and um and the embarrassing thing was i didn't know the answers either and 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 it was probably the first time i was like holy cow i'm supposed to be a smart guy and i don't know these these simple answers either. So I immediately knew I needed to figure out the answers, but I thought these got my colleagues, my bosses, 
I thought surely they'd be able to answer them, but they couldn't. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.